But today we are concluding our series, God Too Small. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about how we humans have a tendency to take a big God and make him small. How many of you would say at least once in your life you've been guilty of that? Raise your hand for your neighbor because you know they have, right? And we have this tendency in life is that we make God small. And before I jump into the message, I want to just share with you one way that you can make God big in this season. You'll hear more about it actually next Sunday, but we are embracing an opportunity called bringing the light to the darkness in Cote d'Ivoire. In the Christmas season, our goal is to raise $75,000 to reach three unreached villages. That means we're going we're to drill three wells, we're going to send in three medical mission teams, and we're going to build three churches in three villages that those villages might be transformed by the power of the gospel. How many think that's a good idea? This past week, someone called me and said, Pastor, we're so excited about this. We want to pay for the first well. So we already have 10,000 of the 75,000 as our goal. That's one of the ways that we can make God big. And again, next Sunday, you'll hear more about that opportunity. But again, our, our human tendency is uh, to make God small. Um, but as we know, God's not small, right? He's anything but small. When we, when we make God small, we take a God who has no limits. And this is what happens. We put limits on him. Um, and the problem The problem is not with God. The problem is our perspective of who God is. Our perspective is of, of, uh, I mean, our problem is the perspective of who God is as revealed in Scripture. There's a story of a nine-year-old boy named Joey who was new to church and new to teachings about God. He was not raised in Sunday school, maybe as many of you were. And so his mom took him to Sunday school class for the first time. And after Sunday school, as any good mom would do, she asked her son, little Joey, said, what what did the teacher say? teach you today? And Joyce says, well, mom, our teacher told us how God sent Moses behind enemy lines on a rescue mission to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And when he got to the Red Sea, he had his engineers build a pontoon bridge and all the people walked across safely. He used walkie-talkie radios to radio back to headquarters. He called in an airstrike. They sent in bombers, blew up the bridge and all the Israelites were saved. His mother said, now, Joey, is that really what your teacher taught you today? Joey says, well, no, mom, but if I told you the way the teacher did, you'd never believe it. (laughs) Sometimes we have a hard time understanding God in the ways of God. And our attempt to understand God or, or to understand what's happening to us as we process life, we make God small. And when that happens, we either limit God in his work or we come to a crisis of faith or we open our lives to other challenges. And we're going to see that this morning. We see that play out as we look to Naomi's story as recorded in the book of Ruth. But, but here's the big idea behind this series. This whole series has kind of been focused on this. Almost all of our spiritual problems, things like doubt, fear, apathy, bitterness, unhappiness, insecurity, come from a view or a perspective of God that's too small. Now, my experience of working with a lot of people down through the years, what I discovered is that we have the greatest tendency to make God small when life's out of control, when the life we're living spinning out of control, when it's happening in a way that we do not understand. That's our greatest tendency to to make God small. Or we begin to think that God's absent when he's really not absent. He's present and he's working. But it's these hard times that stress us and press us. And as we try to make sense out of life, our tendency is to bring God down to our understanding. And in the midst of that, 
we make God small. So when we're hurting or, or when we're grieving or when we're at a time of loss, we want to know why, right? How many of you have ever asked that question of God? Why? Why is this happening? We want to know what God's up to. So in our limited understanding, we try to explain God. And if we're not careful, we can come to wrong conclusions. Or I think we would probably all know individuals today. We could tell their story of individuals who've come to hard places in their lives God didn't meet their expectation. God didn't respond like they thought he would respond and they actually walked away from God and walked away from the faith. What happened? They took a big God and they, they made him small. But, but what we have to know today is this, because we serve a big God, there's always hope even when we don't see it. Simply because you don't see God working in your life, in your present reality, the way you thought he would, does not mean that he's not at work. Because this is what I'm confident of, God is always at work. Matter of fact, I encourage your neighbor this morning, turn to him and say, hey, God's always at work. He's always at work. And he's always working for our good, for our benefit. I, I recently read a book uh, by Coach Joe Gibbs called Game Plan for Loss. Probably most of you would at least be familiar with the name Joe Gibbs. And for years, he was the coach of the Washington Redskins, now the Washington Commanders. Uh, most recently, he's been leading a quite successful business called JGR Racing, Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, what I love about Coach is, and not that we're best friends, I, I know him, um, but we wouldn't be like best buddies. But what, what, what I appreciate about Coach is not only is he an entrepreneurial leader who's obviously built a thriving business, but he is a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And he's, leverages, he's leveraged and he continues to leverage his success to be able to introduce people to Jesus Christ. But about 10 years ago, Coach wrote a book called Game Plan for Life, which I would highly recommend if you've not read it. It's a simple book about how to build your life around Jesus, how to get a game plan for life that involves Jesus. But recently there was a tragedy that Joe experienced that led him to write this second book that's just been printed called Game Plan for Loss. And he wrote the book as a result of a tragedy that he and his wife, Pat, had walked through. Their oldest son, J.D., who was also a committed follower of Jesus, was diagnosed with a degenerative brain disease that eventually took his life at 49 years of age. And due to the illness, it was a slow, difficult, painful death. It was difficult for, obviously, J.D., it was difficult for his wife, difficult for the parents being Joe and and Pat, this left Coach Gibbs with a lot of questions. I mean, when you walk through hard stuff, when you walk through tragedy, you can have a pile of questions. Now, out of that, Coach wrote this book. And I want to read just a couple paragraphs out of his book. Coach says, as much as I tried, I couldn't reconcile what I'd just been through with what I'd always believed as a Christian. Those questions just kept circling around in my mind. J.D.'s journey may have ended, but mine had just begun. But in this intense struggle, if you were to read the book, in this time of pain, Coach and Pat did not make God small. Rather than making God small, rather than running from God, they actually ran to God in the midst of their questions, in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of the tragedy. They made God big rather than making him small. He goes on to make this statement in his book. He says, I guess what I'm trying to say is there may be times when it feels like God's not there, like he's not listening, or like he simply doesn't care. 
But I'm here to tell you nothing could be further from the truth. He's there in the form of friends and family who reach out to us in our darkest hours and in those who offer us a kind word, a helping hand, or a shoulder to cry on when we need it most. And although Coach and Pat didn't have all the answers they wanted in their tragedy, they chose to trust God. They chose to see all the places that God was working rather than the places that he seemingly wasn't working. As I read his latest book, my thought was Coach chose to make God big in his disappointment. Because they made God big, this is what they found. They found hope. They found help. They found peace in the midst of, like what, what I could only imagine is being one of the hardest things you could ever walk through as a parent, the death of one of your own children. It made God big rather than making him small. Well, Naomi, who's the focus of our time this morning, actually did just the opposite. When adversity and tragedy came her way, she made God small. She chooses to view God through the adversity rather than viewing the adversity through God. Let me say that again. It's a significant statement. Naomi chooses to view God through her adversity rather than viewing the adversity through God. I think we often do the same. We choose to magnify whatever it is that we're processing through instead of magnifying God in the midst of the circumstances. We allow the adversity or the hardship to rob us of a right perspective of who God is and how he works and, and what he can do. As we're going to see in Naomi's story, this creates problems in our lives and problems in our faith journey. It brings us to wrong conclusions about God, about who he is and how he works. Now, before we read a portion of this story, I'm going to give you a little background that will lead us into our text this morning. You can go ahead and turn to the book of Ruth. The easiest way to get to the book of Ruth is go to Matthew and back up. Because it's a small book. Uh, excuse me, not Matthew and back up. That was Wednesday night when I taught Haggai. <laughs> Don't do that. It's about nine, eight, nine books in Joshua Judges. You'll come to this little book called Ruth. Four chapters, so go ahead and turn there. And as you're turning there, I want to give you a little background information. Naomi's story is set in the time of Judges. So following Joshua's leadership, it was Joshua that led the children of Israel into the promised land. Joshua dies, and there's about 350 years recorded in the book or covered in the book of Judges. And basically, this is what the book of Judges covers. It's, a, it's kind of a repeating cycle. Although God had delivered the children of Israel from Egypt and from bondage to brought them into the promised land, they did not follow God. There's this continual cycle of idolatry and rebellion. So they would rebel against God. They would worship idols. God would bring judgment, difficulty, pain. They would cry out. God would send a deliverer or a judge to free them from their pain. And then they would only, a few years would pass, and they would fall back into the same cycle. Matter of fact, the book of Judges ends with this verse. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. In other words, everyone just did whatever they wanted. No allegiance to God, no following God. It was just like everyone for themselves. They continued to make God small, and they were reaping the consequences of their choosing. Well, in the midst of this reality, we have Naomi's story. What we're going to see in this story is how we can get so overwhelmed with the realities and hardships of life that we can lose sight of the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and the work of God. We're going to see how we, like Naomi, can take a big God 
and make him small. Now our tendency is when we look to scripture, it's like we separate ourselves from the story. But this morning, I encourage you to put yourself in the story. Because I think that you and I have the same tendencies. We would, we, we, um, we have the possibility of doing the very thing that Naomi did. So as we read this story, put yourself in the story. Ruth chapter one, beginning with verse one. I want to read the first chapter this morning. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. So there's famine because God's brought judgment. Remember the cycle I talked about in the book of Judges? Idolatry, rebellion, God would bring judgment. So there's judgment, there's famine in the land. And interesting, they go down to Moab. They go to pagan country. They leave God's country to go to pagan country. I mean, you can say, that's a bad decision, right? Bad choice. We're going to see how this plays out. The man's name, the husband's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. How many of difficult times, tragedy, death of her husband, death of her sons. Verse six, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from there. With her two daughter-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness if you showed kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will we'll go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I gonna have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, notice she says, it's more bitter for me than for you. Notice what she says here, the Lord's hand is turned against me. In other words, I'm in this mess because it's God's fault. Verse 14, at this they wept aloud, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law's going back to her people and her gods go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I'll go, and where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women, uh, the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Notice verse 20, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. 
Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought his misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So as we end chapter one, Naomi's perspective of God is what? That he's the problem. Can we agree on that? She's made it very clear three or four times in this chapter, God's the problem. She's experiencing what she's experiencing because the hand of God is against her. What's interesting to me in this story is she takes no responsibility for her situation. It's all God's fault. She's viewing a big God through her experience and as a result, she's come to wrong conclusions and her conclusions, her wrong conclusions have led her to bitterness and cynicism. And that's not the end of the story. I, I wanna quickly summarize the rest of our story. And then we want to talk about what happens in our lives when we make God small. But even though Naomi thinks God's absent, God is actually working in her life on her behalf. He provides a kinsman redeemer by the name of Boaz who becomes Ruth's husband. Now a kinsman redeemer is someone in the family line who had both responsibility and opportunity to marry into the family so that they would be um, to marry the widow so that they would be someone to carry on the family name. Well, Ruth, who's now married to Boaz, becomes pregnant, gives birth to a son by the name of Obed. Obed is the grandfather of the future King David, and actually Ruth becomes a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Amazing. God was at work the whole time. God was at work bringing redemption the whole time. But because Naomi took a big God and made him small, she was viewing God through her adversity, she came to the wrong conclusion. And I think, again, the tendency that we have is we can do the same. So really quick, what happens in our lives when we take a big God and make him small? What can we learn from Naomi's story and her situation? Three things. First is this. A God too small gives rise to hopelessness hopelessness. You know, there's probably no more difficult or desperate situation than being without hope. When you have no hope, you feel like you have no future. When you have no hope, you feel like you have, you have nothing to live for. Well, that's where Naomi is in this story. She's experienced so much loss and she's walked through so much adversity. She feels like she has no future. As she's returning to Bethlehem from the land of Moab, she tells her two, two daughter-in-laws to go back to their family. Like she says, I have nothing to offer you. Like you have no future with me. He was in a state, a place of hopelessness. In verse 13, she says, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand is going out against me. And because Naomi's made God small, She's looking at her situation and believes she has no hope, she has no future, she has nothing to live for. And if we're not aware, if we're not careful, we can do the same thing Naomi did. We can fall prey to hopelessness. Maybe we're navigating a difficult, difficult time, a time of tragedy, a time of pain, a time of hurt. And we're viewing God through that pain and we can come to a place where we feel like, I have nothing to live for. I have no hope. I, I have no future. We see this happening not only in the life of Naomi. It's interesting. We see the same thing happening in, in Abraham with Abraham and Sarah. If, if you'll recall Abraham and Sarah's story, God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. 
Now, how many of you know to be the father of many nations, like to have like a lot of offspring, you have to start with one? Can we agree on that? Like you have to start somewhere. You have to start with one. And the problem for Abraham and Sarah is like 24 years has passed and there's no children. They've, they've aged. Now Sarah's 90, Abraham's 100. They're looking at their situation. They're looking at their age. They're looking at their scenario and saying, wow, we're way past the age of bearing children. There is no hope. There's no future. God, you didn't do what you said you were gonna do. They were looking at their situation. They were looking at, at God through their, their situation. But in Genesis 17, God speaks to Abraham. Listen to what God says. I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your number. Now, long story short, God brings life out of a dead womb. But Isaac is born and Abraham actually becomes, just as God said he would be, like the father of, of many nations. But in Abraham's question, in the time, in the midst of their hopeless situation, it's interesting that God reveals himself as El Shaddai, God Almighty. That's what he says in, in Genesis 17. He says, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. I'm not the small God. I'm not the God who is limited. I am the almighty one. Abraham, what you need to understand is age really makes no difference. Time lapse really makes no difference. A dead womb really makes no difference. Why? Because I am the one. I'm not the small God. I'm the mighty God. I am El Shaddai. And I tell you today, friends, that God's still El Shaddai. He's still the almighty one. He's the one who's able to come into your life and into that situation and turn it around. It may be a situation that you're looking at and saying, wow, I don't think there's hope. I don't think there's a future. I don't think there's something to live for. I'm telling you today, friends, God's still El Shaddai. He's still the mighty one. This is what I know. In your pain, he has a promise. In your pain, God can bring his provision. In your pain, God will bring his presence. So instead of making God small and losing hope, I encourage you to make God big. You may not fully understand all that you're processing through, but El Shaddai, the mighty one, is still present and he's still at work. Don't fall prey to what Naomi did. She was looking at her situation and assuming that God was absent, that God was not working, when really he was working all them. Listen, a big God was working to a bigger plan than she could even understand about the promise of the Messiah. Here's the second thing that can happen when we make God small. A God too small gives birth to bitterness. We see this happen in Naomi's life because she's magnified her situation and minimized her God. She becomes bitter. What'd she do? Magnified situation and minimized God. What happens? Bitterness settles in. Now, Naomi had no control over her circumstances. Famines happen, right? Deaths happen. Tragedy happens. Now, she couldn't control these things, but what she could do is she could choose how she responded to what she was going through. Because she made God small, this is what happened. She became bitter. She blamed God for her trouble. God, it's your fault. Notice three, three phrases from the text that we read th this morning. Verse 13, Naomi says, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. 
God's working against me. Verse 20, Naomi says, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Verse 21, Naomi says, the Almighty has afflicted me. Naomi was blaming God for all of her trouble, which seeded bitterness in her life. Interesting, as she returns to Bethlehem, the word gets out that Naomi's come home. There's quite a stir in this little town of Bethlehem. Naomi's returning back home, and they're excited. They say, hey, can this be Naomi? Interesting, the name Naomi means sweet and pleasant. Isn't that good? If you're going to have a baby, call it Naomi, sweet and pleasant. That's what her name means, yet as they greet her, she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Marah, call me better, because the Lord has made me better. Basically, Naomi was saying, I'm miserable, I'm devastated, I'm bitter, and it's all God's fault. She had come to wrong conclusions and opened her life to bitterness, all because of this, she had made God small. He had a big God and made him small. Rather than taking personal responsibility for a situation, she blames God. Rather than magnifying God in her situation, she points, at her, points her finger at God and says, God, it's all your fault. Friends, this is what I know. When you take a big God and make him small as you're navigating through uncharted waters, as you're navigating through difficult times, if you take a big God and make him small, you're gonna see bitterness. You become angry. And here's, here's maybe the greatest challenge of it all. You turn away from the one who can bring you help. You reject the very one who has solution for the crisis that you're in. You reject the very one who can bring peace in the midst of the problem that you're navigating through. Really quick, here's the third thing that happens when we take a big God and make him small. It gives way to bad decisions. Bad decisions that can open the way to greater pain and greater consequence. And because Elimelech and Naomi made God small, they were not willing to trust in provision. If you go back to the first part of the story, famine happens. So what do they do? They take matters into their own hand. It's like, hey, we know best. I know you would never think that way, that you know better than God, but they did. We know best. So they leave the land of promise to go down to a pagan country. They went to Moab. Why would they leave the land of God's provision, the promised land to go to pagan country because they thought they knew best. They made a bad decision. Then if you look further in the story, Naomi has her two sons, Malon and Kilion, marry Moabite women. This was another violation. God had clearly said to the Jews, his chosen people, don't intermarry with other, with other nations, with other people, with pagan people. Because if you marry pagan people, if you intermarry before long, you're going to be doing what the pagans do. Right? A very clear directive. Yeah, what does Naomi and Elimelech do? They have their, or excuse me, Elimelech's already passed. What does Naomi do? She has her sons marry Moabite women. Now here's the good news in the story is God redeemed a bad choice. How many of you are grateful that God redeems when we make foolish decisions? Come on. He is a good God, a redeeming God. So God redeems that choice, but they made another bad choice. So first they choose to go down to pagan country. Second bad decision they made is they had their sons marry Moabite women. Then as Naomi's returning back to Bethlehem, she's trying to talk her two daughter-in-laws 
uh, Orpah and Ruth to go back to pagan country, to go back to the way of the false gods. And now she's going to be like all alone. She would have like no one, no support system. Another bad decision. So for Naomi, there was like one bad decision after another bad decision. And I think that's what happens when we make God too small. We have a tendency to launch out on our own to our own thinking, thinking that we know best and we get ourselves in trouble. Because we minimize God. It leads to poor decisions, to bad decisions. I'm going to tell you what you already know this morning. But our human understanding is so limited. Can we agree on that? Most of you have already forgot what happened yesterday. Come on, it's true. You're trying to figure out today and you have no idea about tomorrow. Isn't that true? Our human understanding is so limited. We don't know, but God does. He's the God who knows all and the one who's working for our good. So don't make God small and in that, make bad decisions. You know, Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and all your ways make God big. Can we say it like that? And all your ways make God big and he'll make your path straight. He'll direct your path. Here's my summary of that. If we choose to make God He'll get us where he wants us in his time frame and he'll accomplish his purpose through our lives and it'll be for our good. When we make God big rather than making him small. And this is what we discover in Naomi's story. When we make God too small in the challenge and adversity of our lives, we come to wrong conclusions about who God is and how God works. We can lose sight of the fact that God is good and he's always working for our good, even if we can't see it. Even if we don't see the reality of it happen, friends, God is good and he's always working for your good. Just as God did in Naomi's story, he can take our hopeless situations and bring both help and hope. We simply need to make God big, not make him small. So as we conclude today, I want to give you an opportunity to make God big as we declare that he's the same God. He's El Shaddai. He is the almighty one. He's not the small one. He's the almighty one. He's the one who has all might, all power, all ability. And friends, never forget this. He's working for your good. You may not be able to see it today, with your eyes, you may not experience in your present reality, but God is good and he's always working for your good. Listen, time lapse doesn't matter. Barren womb doesn't matter. Old age doesn't matter. Situations doesn't matter. This is what I know. He's the same God. He's the same God that worked redemption in Naomi's story and Naomi's life. He's the same God who brought life out of a dead womb being Sarah's womb. He's the same God who can turn your situation around. So this morning, I want to invite you to stand with me. You know, one of, the, one of the greatest ways that I know to magnify God and to make God big is to declare the truth of his word to worship. You know, when I'm in a place where I don't know what's happening, like what's up, Rather than pointing to my finger of God and saying, God, it's your fault, I choose to worship. I choose to magnify God. 
I choose to give God an opportunity to come into my life and into the situation to turn it around. So this morning, I wanna give you that same opportunity as we declare, God, you are the same God. What you did then, you're doing now. Can we open way for that this morning? And you 
is the same God. Same God that was redeeming in Naomi's situation. The same God that worked miraculously through Abraham. It's the same God. El Shaddai. Not the small God, but the almighty God. That's the God we serve. Well, possibly you're here today and you would just say, hey, I'm, I'm navigating through this, this situation, this tragedy, this difficulty, this adversity. Because that's where Naomi was. And she was seeing God through that adversity. That's why she made God small. That's why she minimized God. Maybe you're in that same place this morning and it seeded some bitterness. And bitterness, even in struggling with that. I would just want to pray with you. Maybe you're watching online and that's you this morning. I want to pray with you this morning that El Shaddai, that El Shaddai would magnify that of his work in the midst of your situation, bringing his peace, his provision, his redemption. Is there anyone who would just say, hey, that's me? Yeah. Now, let me ask you a second question, and this is probably broader. How many of you would say you have a family member, a friend, someone that you care about deeply, who they've walked through a situation and bitterness has seeded into their soul and they've turned away from God? We want to pray for them this morning. Lord, first we repent. God, in so many ways, we take you, almighty one, and we make you small. So Lord, forgive us for that, I pray. Lord, I pray specifically for those who raised their hands, for those who are watching online, who they're presently in a tragedy, they're in a painful place, and Lord, they've minimized you, they've been seeing you through that adversity and Lord in that again they've made you small Lord I pray today that you El Shaddai the Almighty One would magnify your God that you would Lord, make yourself big in that situation Lord that they would see that of your hand at work 
in their lives for their good. And Lord, as well, we pray this morning, we, we have friends and family members, Lord, who because of what they experienced, because what they walked through, maybe it was a pain, an abuse, a tragedy, a loss. Lord, they pointed their finger at you and they said, it's God's fault and they've turned away from you. God, I pray today for that individual. We join our faith, Lord, for that family member, that friend. Lord, I pray that their eyes would be open, Lord, to the fact that you're not the problem, you're the solution. Lord, rather than running from you, may they run to you. And Lord, may you bring restoration in their lives and for their lives. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.